Bismillahirrahmanirrahim Bismillahirrahmanirrahim Subhanallah Walhamdulillah Wala ilaha illallah Wahuwa Allah Allahul Akbar Wala ilaha illallah wahdahu la sharika lah Lahul hamd Wahuwa ala kulli shay'in qadir Subhanak Allah wa bihamdik Ashhadu anna la ilaha illa ant Astaghfiruka rabbi wa atubu ilaik Lakal utba hatta tarda Wallahumma salli wa sallim wa barik ala sayyidina Muhammad نبيك ورسولك وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم وسلم تسليما كثيرا ورد اللهم عن ساداتنا عن ساداتنا من أصحاب رسول الله وعلى من اتبعهم بإحسان إلى يوم الدين سبحانك سبحانك رب العزة عما يصفون وسلام على المرسلين والحمد لله رب العالمين We stand always in humility before the one and only, the Lord of the heavens and the earth, the light of lights, the beginning and the end, the true power and true force behind all life, and all that is good, and all that is beautiful. Ever mindful of the fact that our Lord is so compassionate, so merciful, so gracious and so loving, that although our Lord is denied time and time again with denied and confronted with ingratitude and the ill manners of ingratitude time and time again all over this world. God remains the sustainer of this universe and the protector of this universe. The generous giver who forgives human beings 
for so much of their excesses and so many of their faults. And as Allah reminds us that if God would truly allow human beings to suffer the consequences of their own actions, nothing would have remained on the face of this earth. Divine intervention and divine grace and divine blessings, divine mercy and divine compassion intervenes in the lives of human beings every minute of every day to save human beings of their own follies, to mitigate the consequences of human folly, and to evermore give humanity and indeed give every individual, even the most ungrateful, individual, another opportunity, and another opportunity, and another opportunity, perhaps they would do good. And at the beginning again, I remind you and I remind myself that God has blessed humanity with a beautiful human being, a true moral example. The Prophet Muhammad no prophet has been vilified through history throughout history as much as the Prophet Muhammad has been vilified. But I remind you and I remind myself that if that God, not if, but that God reminds us of basic truth about the Prophet Muhammad. The Quran reminds us that the Prophet was a man of great ethics. Ala khuluq azim. A man of great ethics. And in fact, because of his ethical character, he was fit to bear the enormous burden of carrying the Quran. We also know that when asked what was his moral character, the answer was quite simple. His moral character was the Quran. We are also reminded from Allah that Muhammad 
Rasulullah was sent as a mercy unto humankind. Rahma lil alameen. When God speaks to Muhammad, one of the things that God tells the prophet that has always melted me, and to be quite honest, has often made me experience jealousy. Is God tells the prophet, you you are in our eyes. Mean this is an Arabic expression that means we God God speaking, I love you to the point that it is as if you are in the core of my heart. If you want the equivalent, in and one of my persistent du'as is Allah, please make me, I know that you said this to your prophet. You told your prophet that your prophet is in your eyes. That's how much you love and care about that prophet. But Allah, I know I am not worthy. Far from it. I know that I don't deserve it. But Allah, please make me among those who would be covered by that statement. Because I want to be like the Prophet ﷺ in your eyes. I want to be that close to you. I want you to care about me to the point that I am in your heart. Now mind you, that same man, the Prophet ﷺ, who is addressed by Allah, who Allah addresses and tells him, you are in our eyes. That same man, was married to a lovely woman, Khadija, and she died, and it broke his heart. Had a loving uncle, and he saw him pass away, and after his uncle passed away, Muhammad went through a very, very, very hard time. That same man had to endure seeing two young sons, Abdullah and Ibrahim, die in front of his eyes. In other words, it is not an indication of God's love that God spoils you on this earth. You could have horrible things happen to you, but like losing your children, like losing your dear wife, like losing your mother and father, like growing up an orphan, like losing your protector and most a, a, a paternalistic figure in your life, your uncle, 
You could have all of these calamities. But the way you handle these calamities is what will determine whether you are so close to God that you are in God's eyes or you are removed from God. Again, and we will leave other times because this is a very, this is something I've been aching to talk to as life runs by you have to think about what you want to document and leave behind what you want to be said so that at least it's out there and then people can can choose whether to learn or not that's up to them but the key to loving the Prophet is to understand that this is a man from the time he was a child. He lost his father, he lost his mother, and his entire life is one loss after another. But remained throughout this not a hint of bitterness not a hint of anger at the world not a hint of anger at God not a hint of sociopathic behavior not a hint of a depressed um philosophically jaded attitude towards life. We know enough about his world that we know that it hurt him. And again, I can talk about this some other time, but the fact that he grew up an orphan hurt him. That he missed his mother dearly. That there was a woman, that, a mother figure called Halima, that he cared about and continued to, and he would even call her mother, who, who took care of him when he was a baby. She, she was a net wet nurse. It continued to be remarkably compassionate and loving towards her. We know that he cried dearly when Khadija died. We know that he cried when his sons died. We know about his heartbreak. But it is what you do with calamity. It's how you react to hardship. It would have been very easy for someone who loses his parents, his grandfather, his loving, caring grandfather who took care of him for a while, his uncle and his children to say, God doesn't love me. God doesn't care about me. But the reason that the Prophet ﷺ went through all of this is to teach us a lesson. 
to provide us with a moral education. You can go through a great deal of hardship. But you must be keen on keeping your heart pure. And what keeps your heart pure? Zikr. The remembrance of God. What brings comfort and tranquility to your heart? Is the remembrance of Allah. Continue doing dhikr until Allah sends that, that strength, that strength that makes you a solid human being that doesn't turn tragedy into an excuse for evil. I say this at the beginning for especially for our youth and our ignorant Muslim masses. I get a lot of emails when a long time ago when I used to teach at the University of Texas, I used to teach a course called The Life of the Prophet. So I used to teach actually a course um, scholarly, secular style on the seerah. But I get a lot of emails, young Muslims that say, well, I heard this about the Prophet. How about this event? How about this incident? How about this? How about that? Islam spread very quickly. And because Islam spread very quickly, a lot of people entered Islam who either didn't understand Islam at all or who actually remained hostile to Islam but entered Islam for purely political and career reasons. You know, they wanted to work in the Caliph's Diwan, they wanted to work in the tax collection agency, whatever. But in a great deal of ahadith were invented by people that did not like the Prophet Muhammad. A great deal of ahadith, of hadith, of traditions were invented by people who pretended to be Muslim, but who were hostile. Now, through the centuries, most of these reports entered into quarantine. Meaning that through the centuries, scholars recognized these anti Muhammad traditions that say horrible things about the Prophet and quarantine them. Islamophobia and Wahhabism, Puritan Islam, extremist Islam, Daesh Islam, ISIS Islam, went back and took these hadiths out of quarantine 
and circulated them among Muslims again. But there is a big difference. In the past, Muslim institutions were strong. So when Muslims quarantined, so for instance, I'll give you just one example. There's a hadith that says that the Prophet attempted suicide. Can you imagine? The Prophet. Now, of course, the tradition goes that he, he went to a mountain and was going to throw himself from the top of a mountain. And then why didn't he do it? Because Angel Gabriel came, uh, came to him and prevented him. You know, centuries, that tradition was quarantined that you could grow up and die as a Muslim and never hear of that tradition. It had entered into a cultural quarantine. When did this tradition come out of quarantine? Today. Why? Because Islamophobes and evangelists, like uh, this guy called Rashid, who's disgusting, found it and said, wow, that makes Muhammad sound crazy. And they publicized it. Muslims, without the moral example of the Prophet you have very little. You have practically nothing. Because our Muslim institutions are so weak, we, are, we don't control the discourse on Islam anymore. We don't have the ability to quarantine things that should be quarantined. What you do have is your mind and conscience. When you find Allah describing this man as a man of great ethics, when you find Allah telling this man that you are a mercy unto humankind, when you find Allah telling this man, you are so beautiful that you are in Allah's heart, a status that, that makes you jealous, and say, please, Allah, please, I want, to, I want to be like this. That should be your yardstick as to what to believe about your prophet or not believe. When a lot of kids send these messages to me, my response to them, if you believe this, then you shouldn't be a Muslim. Because if, if you really believe that the prophet did this, then what type of prophet would he be? I, I, I don't need to enter into a long scholarly discourse with you this was a man more beautiful than Buddha, than Jesus, than Moses, the most beautiful example unto humanity that was ever given. Would you believe something ugly about him? If you do, then your Islam is not right. And that you need to re-examine your relationship with Allah. A mercy unto mankind, unto humankind, forgive me. A mercy. 
emergency doesn't ca cause hardship, doesn't cause pain, doesn't commit ugliness, doesn't do unethical things. Immersy, for mer the word mercy to be comprehensible to us human beings, it must invoke something in us that is intuitive and natural. So when you see an imam acting in a way that strikes you as cruel or unethical or ugly and then tells you sunnah of the prophet, you don't need to read like Khalid Abul Fadl, I don't know how many hundreds of books to, to, to be able to say, no, that, that, that's, I don't accept that. That's not the prophet. The prophet wouldn't marry wouldn't marry a woman in secret and lie to his wife and raise children. That's that's not our prophet. So I don't need the books to tell me that you are not acting according to the sunnah and sirah of the prophet. And my key to this, mercy unto humankind, when God tells someone, you are so beautiful, you are inside my heart, God has given you so much, so much that you can tell with, so much power, just by that alone. ونصلي ونسلم ونبارك على محمد وعلى آله وأصحابه ومن اتبعوا بإحسان إلى يوم الدين Of course these days everyone is talking and preoccupied we're all going through the pandemic of the coronavirus together The coronavirus and and its its story, its its um, its pattern so far. Again, it educates us, teaches us a great deal about ourselves, teaches us a great deal about the morality and immorality, both. of our modern condition. It is as if, literally, it is, it is a book of philosophical wisdom for those who reflect on it. I want to just flag certain things. Allah tells us that it is the sunnah of the maker. That Allah sends Allah sends 
allows, permits. Now, we won't get into the philosophical discussion about causation and all of that, but that whether it is through direct intervention or through the laws of nature that Allah allows to function, there will be hardship. And the, the, the response to this hardship is what matters. At-Tadarra is not just supplicating to God. It's not just that we will send hardship so that you will supplicate and ask God to remove the hardship. But At-Tadarra itself carries the meaning of humble reflection. You, there is no tadarra without humble reflection. So let's humbly reflect upon things that, and we'll try to be as non-controversial as possible. Perhaps the most blatant part of it, and the most obvious part of it, Look at what, in not particularly lethal strain of organism can do to humanity. And when you think that we human beings have perfected the, 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 the evil of biological weapons, which we can use against each other, that must immediately give you pause. We are societies that allowed our leaders to invest money, not in health, not in education, not to feed the poor, not to, make, to help the homeless, but to develop weapons that can wipe out humanity with things far more lethal than the coronavirus. That needs a pause. And yet God, through God's mercy, saves us from our follies. Second, Allah told us I've made you nations and tribes لتعرفوا. I've made you nations and tribes. I've created you diverse. I've made you speak different languages, have different cultures, so you, can so you will come to know one another. So you will socially interact and civilize the earth. لتعمروا الأرض. We are so interconnected, interlinked, a single humanity, to the point that the eating habits of people in one culture, thousands of miles away, can affect all cultures all around the world. People, humanity as it exists today, tortures and terrorizes animals before killing them and eating them. 
terror and torture poisons the blood of the animal. And if these animals could speak, they would have a lot to complain. They would have a legitimate cause of action against us, and they will in the hereafter, for the type of suffering we inflict on these animals before they die. Allah told us, don't eat things other than pork that have fangs and claws. One of the most painful things that caused me absolute trouble, right before the coronavirus break, I was was working with a group to try to get some cultures, I forgot which country we're we're working on, I think it was Thailand or something like that, to stop eating dogs. I still have stuck in my mind the picture of hanging dog corpuses in markets in China. We are so interlinked that the immorality of a particular market in in Wuhan, China can affect the rest of the world. And we must exist in a world where we can collectively prevent these immoral abuses where you kill bats and where the way you treat pigs because you, you the way pork is treated before it's slaughtered is it's inhumane it's disgusting we are all interconnected there is no such thing as well it, it that's their culture well they can do it because it's their business another lesson from the corona Not only are we all interconnected and all have a vested interest in everything, including our consumption habits, but the way we treat the environment is a sin, is a sin, is a sin. We are destroying the natural habitats of animals who can only live in forests. And when these animals leave the forest that we've destroyed, they intermingle with human beings. And when they intermingle with human beings, diseases like Ebola, like the coronavirus, come to be. Forgive me, that was Allah will hold us collectively responsible for what we do with the environment. And this pandemic is a warning from God.
it is there is no such thing as a Muslim saying, well, you know, I might vote for this person or I might vote for that person without taking into consideration what they're going to do about the environment. The environment is an Islamic moral ethical issue. It is not. It's, you don't have the liberty of saying, "Well, you know, I, 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 I don't care who leads us, because I don't care about what happens to the environment." It is an Islamic issue, and the coronavirus is your warning, among many warnings, by the way, that Allah has sent. So, what we, how, what we eat, and how we eat, we're all in it together. What we do to the environment, we're all in it together. And I'm talking from an Islamic perspective. I'm talking as an Islamic jurist and theologian. But also, the world order that we live in is extremely unfair. Because this world order allows... Countries that are permanent members of the Security Council to do whatever they please. Because they're permanent members of the Security Council, they have veto power, like China, like Russia, and not only do whatever they please, but also trump the procedures and the treaties and the UN institutions that could have possibly either prevented or responded to an outbreak like the coronavirus much earlier. Same applies to the U.S., by the way. The U.S. can have tests, can have um, medicine. Can have, the U.S. as a world power, as a permanent member of the, of the, of the Security Council, is not obligated to share anything and doesn't have to share anything. The pandemic is a warning to humanity that the world order that you've created is unfair and immoral. But the lessons don't stop there. The coronavirus reminded us that we live in a deeply racist and deeply classist world. Deeply racist and deeply classist. Why? Look, Corona is very widespread among Syrian refugees. Is very widespread among Palestinian refugees. It's spread in Sudan. It's spread in Egypt. But the people who get sick and die in dark-skinned countries, no one cares about. Their governments don't care about, and we don't care about. So we don't count them. And the International Health or World Health Organization has no jurisdiction and no resources to go into these dark-skinned areas and underdeveloped areas and count if their governments don't want to count. In other words, if you notice the, the, the daily counts, if you follow the daily counts, 
all white Europe, France, Italy, Switzerland, England, so on, America, when someone dies, it matters. But all of Africa, and people say, oh, there's no corona in India. Hundreds of people are dying in India. But no one cares. No one counts. Corona is yet another reminder from Allah that you live in a deeply racist and a deeply immoral world system. But there's another type of racism. Believe it or not, racist attacks have been directed at Asian people in England, in the Netherlands, and even in Egypt. Somewhat Asian, oh, they're a carrier of the coronavirus. Leave no qualms about it. You cannot get more un-Islamic. I don't have the time, but in Islam, even if you know your guest is infected 100%, you know you can't kick out your guest. You cannot kick out your guest. You cannot deny your neighbor help, even if you know your neighbor is 100% infected. Your Islamic obligation is to put yourself at risk and be Allah takes care of the rest. You might die, you might die. But your Islamic obligation, leave alone going to someone who looks Asian, which is completely irrational and, and it's too, but again, the pandemic holds a mirror to ourselves and says, humanity, look at yourself. Look at yourself. Take a good look at yourself. Because I'm out of time. I'll finish with this last point. But you know what else Corona teaches us? Pandemic. The evil of dictatorship and authoritarianism. The evil of dictatorship and authoritarianism. No one knows how many people died in North Korea or are infected in North Korea. Why? Because North Korea is a dictatorship. And it is the leader who decides. And if the leader doesn't want anyone infected, the leader says, no, no one is infected. It is dictatorship that allowed Corona to be out of control in China before finally the government caved in and admitted. It is the lack of transparency, the lack of accountability. That's the nature of dictatorship. It is dictatorship that makes us stand there clueless about how widespread the, the uh, corona is in, in, in the Holy Land, in Saudi And why did Saudi close the haram? Is it really because corona or something else? It's an event that should matter to every Muslim. But it is dictatorship that says, not only you can't know, but you, you, you will never be given the right to know. It is dictatorship. It is dictatorship that has made a country like Egypt 
all indicators today is that Egypt has become a hot zone. Egypt is exporting Corona to the world. People from coming from Egypt to England had Corona. There were people, a, 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 a tourists from Houston who went to Egypt. 22 of them came back with Corona. They left the U.S. to Egypt and became back from Egypt with Corona. The government arrests anyone that reports that their child got corona in school. The government refuses to shut down flights with China, refuses to shut down flights with Italy, refuses to close schools. There are reports of mass graves that the government are taking people who die from corona in the, in the villages and burying them in mass graves. The, the only time the Egyptian government has admitted corona cases either when tourists were involved or when the U.S. government or the British government forced them to do so. So, for instance, the, 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 the tourists from Houston, they went to Egypt, they took a Nile cruise, they came back to the U.S. The U.S. discovered that they all have been infected with corona. The U.S., the American embassy, that it's called the Luxor boat incident. The American embassy is the one that forced the Egyptian government to conduct tests, and actually the U.S. is the one that provided the tests, to conduct tests on the, the people who were in their boat, and it was discovered that everyone that was on their boat, including the Egyptian, Egyptian crew, were infected. But the Egyptian government, if left to its own devices, would not have done it. The Egyptian government doesn't care. Dictatorship. But the dictatorship of the Egyptian government just doesn't affect the Egyptian people. It is exporting the disease to the rest of the world. Because millions of tourists go to Egypt and those millions will come out of Egypt all infected and they will infect. The... Listen, in the U.S., we've got people in New York infected from Egypt. People in Texas infected from Egypt. People in California infected from Egypt. People in Utah infected from Egypt. Egypt has become a hot zone and dictatorship doesn't allow anyone to do anything about it. So when I tell you dictatorship is shirk, is dictatorship by definition is shirk. It is worse than being an infidel or unbeliever or... A, a, an atheist, it's worse. Corona, like all challenges sent to human beings, they're not just sent like that. They're not just sent by God to just wreck havoc. They contain lessons. And our job as Muslims is not simply to follow the governor's instructions and close down our Jum'ahs and hide in our homes. It is to reflect upon what Allah is telling us. God is speaking to us. Protect yourself, yes. As a Muslim, you should. But take care of your neighbor. If you're a true Muslim, the idea that you, you have water or food or whatever and your neighbor doesn't is unacceptable. Take care of your neighbor. That is your Islamic obligation. Take care of the sick. 
If you die, you die a martyr. But you have an obligation to take care of the sick. You cannot abandon the sick. If you really want to do an Islamic thing, buy masks, buy medical supply, buy that test when it becomes available that checks for corona, and distribute it in poor neighborhoods. The Islamic thing is not to just cancel your Jum'ah. The Islamic thing is to be Allah's Khalifa on earth. Wake up before you find disaster and calamity fall in your lap and you have a great deal to answer for in the hereafter when Allah asks you about all these things. Did you condemn the dictator? Did you condemn the corruption? Did you condemn the lies? Did you recognize what is immoral and what is not, what, what's moral and what's immoral? And you have no answers. And then it will be too late. Allahumma afu'anna. Allahumma khfir lana. Allahumma arhamna ya rabbal alameen. Allahumma hadina ila sawa'is sabiil wa sawa'at al-mustaqeen. Allah, forgive our sins. Make us recipients of your kindness and compassion and love. Make us draw closer to you. Make us be better agents and representatives of the beauty of the divine on this earth so we may be agents for good and kindness and humanity and Islam above all. Alhamdulillah, Rabbil Alameen, wa